This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 29th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. The National Security Agency dropped a gift under the tree this year, a Christmas Eve acknowledgement of several specific instances of employees making use of NSA tools to stalk love interests, among other abuses. Patrick Eddington, a policy analyst in Homeland Security and Civil Liberties at the Cato Institute, spent his holiday poring over the documents. Our friends at the National Security Agency uh, on Christmas Eve uh, decided to put a series of reports out there that have been the subject of litigation uh, by the American Civil Liberties Union under the Freedom of Information Act. And again, this is essentially a follow-up on something that Senator Chuck Grassley had initiated back in August of 2013 when he sent a letter to NSA saying, how many intentional violations, essentially, of U.S. law and NSA protocols have folks engaged in? And he got a letter back in September of 2013 that outlined at least a dozen of these. You know, And some of this is what we've heard before in terms of folks going after um, individuals going after the information on their ex-wives or their girlfriends and things of that nature. And so this data dump that occurred uh, just before this Christmas 2014 was a whole series of reports that go back to uh, 2001, the very late 2001 uh, timeframe, and then from that point forward. And The Verge, you know, had some really good coverage on this. Um, And as they noted in in their lead, if you want to release something no one will pay attention to, what's a better time than Christmas Eve? At least that appeared to be the NSA's thinking. And they go on to talk about some of these things in, in relative detail. Again, they describe it as, quote, NSA's greatest hits, um, stalking potential romantic partners. And, of course, within the intelligence community, this is called love int, um, erroneously targeting U.S. citizens for spying, database queries that return information on U.S. persons, and so on and so forth. And so it just goes on and on, and you see all of this kind of thing. These are all violations of standing operating procedure in NSA, and in some cases they may well be violations of U.S. law. What's interesting, a lot of things actually on this, is that in almost none of these cases was anybody fired, right? They got a counseling statement. Now, what I find frustrating about this is that the National Security Agency has been in existence for 60 going on 70 years, right? And they've been operating under some of these authorities, particularly the executive order that President Reagan signed called uh, EO 12333, since 1981. So you just have to wonder, (laughs) when you have 10 years' worth of of data here, or more than that at this point, about these violations, why it is that people don't get it, right? Why do they continue to do these things? And it's pretty clear from a cultural standpoint, they just don't seem to care. And when no one's held accountable for this kind of thing, when nobody actually loses their job, um, then the message to the workforce, I think, is pretty clear. So Now, one of the uh, specific reports that you pulled is from 2002. What is the context of uh, that specific uh, incident? Yeah, well, the, the very first report that they published out there was for the first quarter of fiscal year 2002, which would actually be from... October 1st through December 31st of 2001. And these things, these reports were signed by the acting inspector general the, uh, in the uh, National Security Agency, uh, Brian McAndrew, the general counsel, uh, Bob Dietz. And then, of course, uh, the guy at the time who was the head of NSA, Michael Hayden, uh, three-star general at that point in time. And this particular report, for me, was noteworthy for a couple of reasons. The, the first is, 
They were talking about some of these specific activities that they engaged in. And when you go through and you look at the redactions, and for me, the redactions are uh, almost the more interesting part, you get a clear sense that they were collecting information and disseminating it on hundreds, if not thousands, of U.S. persons. And you can take a look at that. If anybody can remember the age of whiteout and the age of typewriters, if you made a mistake, you'd use a little bit of whiteout. You can kind of tell how many specific characters were actually whited out there. And you can do the same thing here. In a couple of places, there are three or four-digit type references. Uh, in, in this particular paragraph on page two, uh, blank U.S. identities were disseminated. It, it's at least a three or four-digit figure. And, the, and this is intentional dissemination here. And some of it may have been for lawful purposes, but some of it may well have not been really for lawful purposes. And there were some folks, uh, one particular incident that they actually talk about in here was an individual who had been working at NSA since at least October of 1978, who apparently queried a particular database and got back a bunch of hits on U.S. persons, and he had no real authorization to do so. Again, a counseling statement, you know, nobody got anything more serious than that in this particular case. But what I also found interesting about this particular document, and they all kind of read this way, the the front pages all read this way. They talk about how these reports are to be compiled by the heads of agencies in the intelligence community and the general counsels and the inspector generals to report to the Intelligence Oversight Board, which is the successor to the President's Foreign Intelligence um, Advisory Board, on a quarterly basis concerning intelligence activities, I'm quoting now, that they have reason to believe may be unlawful or contrary to executive order or presidential directive, end quote. What's significant about this is that this document was promulgated during the very same quarter that the Stellar Wind Warrantless Surveillance Program was initiated by Michael Hayden at the request of the president and the vice president. And of course, no mention whatsoever is made of that particular activity here. And that's because they were of the opinion, and certainly General Hayden was of the opinion, that he was acting lawfully. And it's, it's interesting if you actually look at the inspector general report on the Stellar Wind program, which the Guardian got its hands on in 2013. And they make note in the report here that General Hayden's use of these particular activities to target essentially U.S. citizens, if necessary, was, quote, a more aggressive use of Executive Order 12333 authority than that exercised by former directors, end quote. So Hayden was really going out on a limb. He knew, I think, that he was going out on a limb. He also knew that he was ultimately going to get caught if you take a look at some of these other documents. So it's, it's remarkable, the mentality, the scope of it. Uh, and the persistence of it, right? I mean, this just goes on year after year after year. Der Spiegel has uh, gotten its hands on some Snowden documents and has revealed how aggressively, uh, perhaps well-known within the intelligence community, but certainly not known to the broad public, how aggressively the intelligence community, uh, NSA specifically, have been going after uh, not just uh, breaking into uh, computers or networks, mm-hmm. but all, but compromising them. Right. I mean, Der Spiegel ran this very large piece um, after Christmas 2014 over that particular weekend. And this was kind of taking place in concert with the 31st annual Computer Chaos uh, Forum that was taking place. And the presentations were absolutely amazing in terms of the documents that they managed to actually put into circulation out there. And kind of the the short version is this. NSA has been able 
to effectively crack some of the most commonly used protocols on the internet that we thought were secure. So transport layer socket, for example. Um, NSA has the ability, apparently, to pretty much read that anytime they want to do it. So if you go onto the internet and you think that you're using something that's got HTTPS, you are supposed to feel that that is a relatively secure connection, particularly if you're conducting online banking, things of that nature. And what we now, I think, can say with a high degree of confidence is that <laughs> the National Security Agency has the ability to get into your banking information if they want to. That's a very, very scary proposition. And it's scary not just because of the NSA's ability to potentially do it without any real authority. If the NSA can do it, there's a really good chance that other folks, other malicious actors, are ultimately going to be able to figure out how to do this. So hacker collectives, things of that nature, foreign intelligence services for that matter. So it's a huge problem, and it's just the latest manifestation essentially of the NSA's kind of wholesale assault on internet security. I think what we have to see now, since this stuff was buried over the holidays, is whether or not it's actually going to bubble up and, you know, cause some folks in Congress to actually begin to kind of take action, you know, in the wake of the, of the Sony hack, right? You had all this talk from guys like Mike McCall of Texas and others on the Homeland Security Committee about, you know, we need to improve our ability to defend against these kinds of hacks. What are they going to do now that it's out there that NSA is so active in these kinds of hacks going against the very systems that Congressman McCall and others actually claim that they want to protect? It's going to be interesting. And it's not just hacking. Mm -hmm. It's also active attempts to compromise the specific protocols that form the basis of so much of the encryption that people yeah. want to depend on at, at yeah. a very basic level yeah. in terms of uh, trying to infiltrate the groups that are charged with designing yeah. and implementing those uh, security uh, protocols. Protocol. Yeah, ab absolutely. And of course, you know, we 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 got this uh, taste of this initially last year, and part of the Snowden revelations when it came out that NSA was basically trying to use the National Institutes for Standards and Technology uh, to weaken encryption standards. Right. So we now know, in essence, on the basis of these revelations and many others, that the NSA is literally targeting for penetration, and, and by that I don't just mean electronic penetration. I mean actually trying to get to people working in these organizations in order to get them to work with the, uh, the NSA to compromise these standards. So again, if NSA thinks that they're the only you know, individual or organization in this game trying to do this, it's just a manifestation of arrogance and insularity. And in the end, we're all going to pay the price for this. In the Cold War, it, it seemed like a fairly clear binary uh, set of goals. One is to infiltrate Soviet communications and intercept them and decode them. And two, also secure Americans' uh, communications, specifically those with the national security importance. But this is a very different animal. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and the disturbing thing, unfortunately, is that the leadership of the National Security Agency, and it would seem a lot of their workforce, don't get the difference of the paradigm, right? So the documents that were put up by Der Spiegel this weekend talk about specific foreign entities that were targeted. But those entities were using these internet protocols that we all essentially depend upon, right? So while the kinds of functions that were conducted during the Cold War are still completely legitimate, you know, for, for most national security purposes, break the enemy's codes, and in, in this case, I'm talking about real enemies, real potential adversaries, right? Protect our own codes. 
That's still a legitimate function for the National Security Agency. What is not a legitimate function for the National Security Agency is to subvert the global internet. And that's precisely what these actions amount to. Patrick Eddington is a policy analyst in Homeland Security and Civil Liberties at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.